gosh, we have so many things to be thankful for, don't we? And you know, Melissa's right. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really good at bringing my requests to God, you know? I'm really good at like, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, you know, I'm stuck in traffic. Please get me to that meeting on time or whatever it is. And then God gets me to the meeting on time and then I don't thank him for it. So I love the fact that we kind of set aside time in our year. And hopefully you do this in your day or in your week to just thank God. To just say, God, thanks for a body that can exercise for opportunity to preach. Uh, God, thanks for my family here at Bayview Glen Church. Not, not just my family in Amy and you know, my, my immediate family, my extended family, but my family of faith here at Bayview Glen. These are a lot of things that I wrote down. And so uh, it's a great thing to do that, uh, to just set aside time and remember uh, all the blessings uh, that God has poured out onto your life and mine. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Lucas Cooper. I'm the lead pastor here. And we've been going through this series of messages. It's like five or six messages. And, and, and the kind of the overall title of this whole series is Questions. Everything you ever wanted to know about God but were afraid to ask. And, and here's what we've kind of done uh, to, to determine what kind of topics we're going to address in this series. We, we, we solicited questions to God on like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our bulletins, emails. People submitted questions from everywhere. We even submitted, we had some from our kids' ministry. They submitted questions. It's kind of the, if you could ask God one question, one question, and you knew he would answer, what would you ask him? And so we've covered these questions. God, are you there? Uh, why did Jesus have to die? What's up with all this pain, challenges in my life? And today we come to this question that really is one of the most popular questions in all of Christianity. Those first couple of questions were like, you know, people that don't know Jesus or don't know God or don't believe in God, they could ask, oh, okay, God, are you really there? And we address that. Or why did Jesus have to die? We, we address that one. But, but this one is a question that so many Christians ask. And here it is. Here's our topic for today. God, what is your plan for my life? God, what in the world are you doing with my life? God, what is your will for me? So if you had one question and one question alone that you could ask God and you knew he would answer, there are so many of you, so many in fact, that we decided to deal with that very question this morning. God, what is your plan for my life? And so today we're gonna basically talk about how to determine God's will for your life. And I'm gonna give you kind of seven checkpoints, seven easy checkpoints. We're gonna take us a little while to kind of set them up, but seven easy checkpoints to go, okay, what is God's will for my life? How do I determine God's will for my life? And then I'm gonna tell you a couple of stories about my own life where those checkpoints that we're gonna talk about today really came into play. They were super, super important to me as I determined God's will for my life. Before we do that, I'd like to pray and just invite God to move and the spirit to speak as we uh, get, get into his word together. Oh God, we do invite you to speak. God, every time I say that, every time I pray that, I, 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 even in the back of my mind, there's even this, almost this little chuckle because I know you do not need an invitation. God, if and when you want to speak, you can just speak. And yet, God, when we say that, when we say we invite you, what we mean is we submit to you, that our ears are attuned to you, that our eyes are looking for you. Here in this moment, God, we just 
are still, we quiet our hearts, and we ask, oh God, that you would speak to us about how to determine your will for our lives. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen. Well, if you were to look in the Bible and you were to look at all of the examples in the Bible and you would kind of pull them all together, all the times, all the places where the Bible talks about God's will, God's will, you would find that they typically fit pretty neatly within one of three categories. It's not always the case, but of a very large portion of the time, if you were to read a verse about God's will, you would find that it fits into one of three categories. And the first one is this, the promised will of God. The promised will of God. Now, uh, Bible scholars and theologians, these are really their categories. They're not my categories, but these are my words that, that I use to kind of help me remember what we're talking about when we talk about the will of God. What does that really mean? And the first, like I said, the first category, the first aspect of God's will is his promised will. Now, other theologians and, and Bible scholars would talk about the providential will of God. They would talk about the decretive will of God, that which God has decreed. They would talk about the sovereign will of God, but today we're gonna to talk about the promised will of God because it's all the same. And, and here's the promised will of God. This is what God is going to do whether you like it or not. <laughs> this is what God's just up to. Now, we don't always know this. This isn't always clear to us. God always, doesn't always tell us this, but there are a lot of times where the Bible tells us this is just what God's gonna do. This is his promised will. So God calls a man in the Old Testament named Abraham to start a family for himself, and there was not a thing Abraham could do about it. God raised up a nation of people that were gonna be his megaphone his, his, his very eyes and ears and hands and feet and his mouthpiece to the world, that's called the nation of Israel. There was not a thing the nation of Israel could do about. That was God's promised will. Did you know that the crucifixion of Christ comes underneath the promised, the decreed, the providential, sovereign will of God? God was just going to do it because Acts chapter two tells us that he was offered up according to the, and I quote, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, end quote. This is the promised will of God. We talked about last week that one day God is going to stop all pain. He just promises, and so he's going to do it whether you like it or not. That's his promised will. Every knee will bow to Christ one day, whether you like it or not. It's the promised will of God. This is the things God does because he's God. You ever do that to your kids? Like, why are you changing the channel? Because I'm the dad. Blah. That's what God does. Because I'm God. That's what I do. I, I, I want to show you one. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus says this. He, he, he says this to Peter. Put, put this up on the screen. Put the verse up on the screen. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here's the promise. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. it Give it a shot. Try to push back up against God's will, which is creating a people unto himself, a redeemed people for himself. That people is called the church. 
try to push back against it. Just see what happens. God just mows you down because that's his promised will. Go back through the annals of history. Nero, Hitler, Stalin, you name it, pushing back up against God's people, God's church, and and those people pushed back up against a whole lot of other stuff that God was up to, but the church was one of them, and Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is the promised will of God. It's just going to happen. Category number two is the prescribed will of God. The prescribed will of God. These are the things that God tells us, you do this, you don't do that. These are the parts of the scripture where we tend to cringe a little bit sometimes. God says, you know, pay your taxes, love your spouse, and you're like, well, I don't want to do that stuff. Not today, anyway. Uh, share your faith, pray all the time, rejoice continually. I don't know about that. But God is saying, it's like a doctor that prescribes medicine. It's like, this is going to make you feel better. This is going to correct your illness. It's going to correct your sickness. God prescribes those things. Now, it's up to us whether or not we want to do them. But isn't it funny when God makes a prescription and we actually do it, we look around and go, wow, my life turned out a little bit better. Hmm. I love my spouse like Jesus loved the church. Our relationship's getting better. Would you look at that? Interesting. I parented my kids the way God parents his kids. And my relationship's gotten better with them. Isn't that interesting? I started to deal with integrity in my business. Wow, that works better than lying, stealing, and cheating my way into it. Wow, interesting. See, those are the pres- that's the prescribed will of God. I want to show you one of them. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 18. Throw that verse up here on the screen. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Those are all choices, prescriptions. You, you have a choice whether to do that or not. But Paul says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the prescribed will of God that you would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And now, category number three is the personal will of God. Now, this is the one, if we're honest with ourselves, that we are most interested in, are we not? Who should I marry? Who should I date? Should I go to college? What should I major in? Once I'm out of college, what city should I live in? What job should I take? How long should I work there? I've got another employment opportunity. Should I go there? We're thinking about having children. When should we have children? Should we have biological children? Should we have adoptive children? We already have two, three, four. Should we stop there? Should we have more? When should I retire? See, none of that is in the Bible. Like, you can't just open up and go, okay, God tells me how many children I should have. Or God tells me whether I should work at Tim Hortons or Starbucks. I'll tell you which one of those you should work at. That's beside the point. God's not going to tell you that. God's not going to tell you that. But, but, but we say, okay, oh, God, I want to know your will for my life. That's God's personal will. It's not the stuff that he's just declared to be so. It's not the stuff he's just decreed to be so, his promised will. It's not his prescribed will, like the moral code of the scripture. It's God's personal will for you. So it's funny, even in Christianity, we have goofy ways of figuring this out. A couple of methods that I just jotted down this week. First one is the miracle method of figuring out God's personal will. Anybody ever use the miracle method? It's the one where you go, oh God, if you want me 
to marry this girl. Let her walk through that door right now, oh God. I even jotted down in my notes, it's the astonishing miracle method. Oh, there she is, there she is. You know. Oh God, if you want me to take this job, allow them to offer me $3.9 million a year and 10 months of vacation, and then I will know, oh God, that you want me to take that job. It's the astonishing miracle method. What about, the, what about the random finger method? Anybody ever use this one? Oh, God, I want to know your will. And then we open up to a passage like Isaiah chapter 20, 20 verse 3. Then the Lord said, as my servant Isaiah has walked around naked and barefoot for three years. And we go, wow, the random finger method doesn't work because that doesn't seem like God's personal will for me. Random finger method is broken. How about this method? You know this method? Oh, God, should I eat my weight in turkey this afternoon? Yes. I should, apparently. Don't count on it. <laughs> Oh, God, will Glenn Close marry me? Don't count on it. All right. We have all of these goofy ways of discovering God's personal will for us. All of these weird ways, miracle method, the magic eight ball method, whatever it is, you just kind of, you just kind of pick. But, but let me pose a question to you this morning that, that, that's very interesting. It's, it's our, our kind of starting point today. It's, it's this. What if God's will was never meant to be discovered? Think about that for a minute. What if God's will was never meant to be discovered? We treat God's will like we're pirates and it's a buried treasure. Or, or like we're, we're discovering like a new scientific element or a secret hideout or something. Like is God's will really so hidden that we need to discover it? What if God's will wasn't something to be discovered? What if it was something to be known and lived out each and every day? What if God promised us you can know my personal will for you. You may not always know the future. You may not always know the next step. You may not always know what's around the bend. But, but check this out. I will allow you to see, says God. I will allow you to see my will and be confident in it. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know he does? I'm not kidding. He does. See, there's a guy named Paul, and Paul was an apostle of Christ, and uh, he was kind of a missionary for Jesus, but before he was a missionary for Jesus, he was absolute, just running 100 miles an hour uh, in, in, in the other way of Jesus. He was running away from Jesus, and what he thought was following God really wasn't following God at all. He was persecuting the church, but God intervened. He's blind for three days. If you know the Bible, you know the story, and, and God uh, brought this man, Paul, to himself, and he says, now that you're too, with me, walking with me, now that you know me, I'm going to use you as my mouthpiece and my megaphone for the gospel to the nations. And, and one of the things that God used in, in Paul's life was his letters to the church. So he wrote this letter to the church at Rome, which is cleverly entitled, 
Paul's letter to the Romans. I, I could not have come up with a better title myself. And for the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter, he lays out theology is really what he does. And then in chapter 12, he gets into practical living, what that theology means for you on a day-in, day-out basis. And we're going to camp out in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 for a little while. But before we get there, here's why I want you to know we're doing that. It's because more than almost any other person in all of the scripture, we see Paul seeking and knowing God's personal will for him. Like, all the time, all throughout Acts, which is a history of the church, and it talks all about Paul, we see Paul coming, coming into these situations and coming into these opportunities, and it doesn't really, it's not really the promised will of God, it's not really a moral thing, the prescribed will of God, it's like, should I go to this city or that city? Should I stay here or should I go? Like, all the time we see Paul getting into those situations, and more often than not, Paul, and when I say more often than not, I mean every single example in the scripture, Paul is able to clearly see and be very confident in the will of God for his life. And in Romans chapter 12, he gives us, gives us this little trick. He gives us this little clue as to how he can be confident, how he can see God's personal will and be confident in it. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles, that's all right. There's one in the seat back in front of you. You can use that one. Just return it when you're done. We also put the scripture up here on the screen so you can follow along. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. It's a different translation of the scripture. Typically, I preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version, but I like the NIV translation here better for Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Did you catch it? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now that word test and approve, it's translated test and approve. It's actually just one word in the original language. That one word is dokimazo. It's the Greek. It's the language your Bible was written in. And that one word, dokimazo, which is translated test and approve, means to observe, to watch, or to examine. To observe, to watch, or to examine. And it has this other connotation, this other kind of thread of meaning, and it means to test by experience. Here's the way my Bible dictionary uh, defines it. it. It says, dokimazo means to try to learn the genuineness of something by examination and testing, often through actual use. As in, this armor is battle-tested. I have put it to use and I have seen that it works. Or as in, I have tested this metal and I know that it's pure gold or whatever the metal is. And, and Paul can't be talking about God's promised will or his prescribed will. Why? Because God does not need us to test that. that that's just there. 
That's a promised will. That's just what he's going to do. And his prescribed will, that's his moral code that's intact. Paul says, you can test and approve. You can discern. You can put to use and learn that it's genuine by experience God's personal will for you. So, So here's what he's saying. He's saying, as you put Romans 12 verses one and the first half of two into action, the results are twofold. One, you'll be able to see the will of God. Observe, watch, examine. You'll be able to see it. Number two, you'll be confident in it. You'll be able to test it, to see that it works, to know it. Not just knowing mentally, but knowing through experience. But Paul says, If you want to do that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. If you want to do that, the conditions are found in verses 1 and this first half of verse 2. You don't don't just go, oh God, I want to know your will, and he goes, blam. Like Paul says, there are conditions attached to this promise. You can know God's personal will, but there are conditions attached. Let's read about the conditions. Look at verse 1. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Stop there. We've talked about this before. But anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you should ask yourself, what is it therefore? Paul's saying, because of all of these reasons, chapters 1 through 11, in which Paul delineates in detail God's redemptive plan for all of history, He talks about God's mercy for you. He talks about God's mercy for the nations. He talks about God's plan for salvation all through chapters 1 through 11. And then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, which is all of those things, keep reading, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Other translations say that this is our right, fitting, true, appropriate response. In other words, check this out. God's prescribed will for you is that you offer your body as a living sacrifice. Paul is saying, if you want to discern God's personal will for you, those kind of amoral, like where to work, who to marry, you know, should I take this job or that job, this city or that city, this college or that college, when to retire, what to do after retirement, all of that stuff. If you want to discern God's personal will for you, it starts with knowing and responding appropriately to his promised and prescribed will. God's promised will Romans chapter 1 through 11. Therefore, in view of all that, in view of God's promised will, with that as a context, with that as a lens through which to view life, God's promised will, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, that is, do his prescribed will. That's condition number one. If you're jotting notes down, here's how we're going to say it this morning. God's personal will is typically most clear when we're in line with God's promised and prescribed will. God's personal will is typically most clear when we're in line with God's promised will and his prescribed will. I'm not saying God can't intervene when you're pressing back up against his promised will, stuff he's going to do anyway. I'm not saying God can't intervene when you're not doing his prescribed will. I'm saying typically it's most clear. 
Paul is saying in verse 2, you want to know and approve, discern, understand, test and experience God's personal will, not just will, but good, pleasing, and perfect will. Start with, being in, with knowing God's mercy and offering your body as a living sacrifice. Know his promised and prescribed will. God's personal will is typically most clear when we're in line with God's promised and prescribed will. Knowing God's personal will starts with a yes to his promised will and prescribed will. Like, don't expect God to tell you what he's got in store for you personally if you can't seem to get in line with what he's got in store for the nations, what he's already promised, what he's already prescribed. I have people come into my office and do this all the time. Luke, I really want to know God's will for my life. Well, are you making disciples? Well, no, not really. Well, that's God's promised will. Are you, are you uh, serving in church? Are you loving your spouse well? Are you working hard in every aspect of life as if unto Christ? Well, no, not really. Well, that's God's prescribed will. So if you can't get in line with his promised will or his prescribed will, why would he tell you his personal will? That doesn't make sense. You know, we do this in life too. Like for those of you who have kids, I mean, you've done this before. If you don't have kids, just imagine like you tell your kid, look, I've got a big surprise for you tomorrow. Big surprise. And let's say that surprise is you're going to take them to Canada's Wonderland or something, right? You're going to take them, but you don't tell them. You don't tell them Canada's Wonderland. You just tell them, I've got a big surprise for you. And you say, in the meantime, what I need you to do is I need you to carry out some chores for me. That, that's what I want you to do. That's my prescribed will for you. You get where I'm going. And you say, uh, prescribed will, number one, of mine for you today in order to get to that big surprise tomorrow is that you unload the dishwasher. And your kid goes, great, that's awesome. They go over to the dishwasher, they take one mug out and they put it away and they take one knife out and they put it away and they go, done. Done. Like, okay, well, there was more in the dishwasher than just a mug and a knife. But I'll let you slide on this one. I'll take care of it. Now, okay, okay so, so here, here's the second thing I need you to do. Go clean your room. And your kid goes in their room for like two hours and you come in there and they've like hung up a shirt and the rest is like a mess. And there's like a soccer cleat stuck to a plate and it's like, what, what in the world's going on? Happened to my brother in his dorm room in college. Don't laugh. You come in and you say, look, I've told you to clean your room. How can you expect me to unveil that surprise that I've got for you tomorrow if you can't do this? Okay, all right, how about this, kid? No more chores, just fun stuff. Just fun stuff. I'm going to let you have pizza and ice cream for dinner, your favorite foods, and you can eat all you want. And your kid goes, you know what? I don't even really want that. All I want to know is tomorrow. I want to know what you've got in store for me tomorrow. Like, look, I'm giving you like your favorite meal and you won't even enjoy that? No. Why? Because I want to know what's tomorrow. Would you tell your kid, we're going to Canada's Wonderland? No. No. Like, when, when we can't get in line with God's promised will and, 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 and participate with him, come alongside, because he's invited us to do that, when we can't get in line with his prescribed will to the best of our ability and say, okay, God, you've, you've said some things in this book, and I'm going to do them to the best of my ability. So now I want to know your personal will. If we can't do that, why would we expect God to reveal his will to us? We wouldn't do that for our kid. How are you going to expect God to do the same thing for you? Therefore, brothers, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, his, his promised will, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, his prescribed will. Let's keep reading, verse two. 
Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Love that word, be transformed. Original language, metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. I was an English major in college. That word is the present passive imperative. Like, there's not a pop quiz afterwards, so nobody panic. Here's what that means. When Paul says, do not be conformed, but be transformed, he's saying, do it now, in this time and place, the present. It's an imperative. That's a command. Do it. It's not a suggestion. It's not a when you get around to it. It's be transformed. It's an imperative. And check this one out, because this is awesome. It's a passive form of the verb. Passive. What that means is transformation is not something that happens by you. It's something that happens to you. Paul's saying, submit yourself. Don't conform to the world, but submit yourself to a radical change in the way you think. Metamorphosis, transformation, something different. I see the world different now. I think about the world differently now. And how do I do that? By thinking the way Jesus thought and by allowing him to transform my heart and mind to be more like his. Here's the deal. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he he begins to do this. He causes us to love what he loves. He causes us to hate what he hates. He he causes us to think about things differently. And for those of you who have been walking with Jesus for six months, a year, 60 years, you can attest to this. You can affirm this. You could say, you know what? I used to really love this stuff, but now I've been transformed and I don't love it so much anymore. You know that there was a revival in Wales in the 18th century? Where, where all these people, this is, I think this is great. This is the kind of stuff I think is funny. You want to know my sense of humor? Here it is. There was a revival in Wales in the 18th century where donkeys stopped obeying their masters because all the donkeys knew were swear words. And all of their masters came to Jesus and they just didn't want to swear anymore. So they stopped. And the donkeys didn't know what to do. Because all they spoke was cuss. That's it. You see, God begins to transform our minds. He begins to change our minds. And Paul says, you want to know God's will? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to that pattern anymore, the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible talks about this everywhere. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In the Old Testament, God says, I'll take away your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll cause you to love what I love, hate what I hate. I'll cause you your mind to think differently. Paul says, submit yourself to that transformation process. Then you'll be able to discern the will of God. We'll say it this way this morning. God's personal will becomes a lot clearer when we're thinking like Jesus. God's personal will becomes a lot clearer when we're thinking like Jesus. When we know God's promised will, we know his prescribed will, we begin to think like Jesus, all of a sudden God's personal will for us, oh man, it's just wow, look at that. Look at how clear that is. 
I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be crystal clear all the time. I'm just saying that when we know his promised and prescribed will, and we're submitted to him, and we're undergoing this transformation process, we're thinking differently, then we begin to see God's personal will a lot clearer. So this is what Paul says. Do not be conformed any longer to the power. Start with verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of his promised will, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Do his prescribed will. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what's the promise? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You want to be able to test and approve it? Do verses 1 and 2. So it took me that long to introduce checkpoint number one for determining God's will for your life. And some of you are going, I got turkey to eat this afternoon. Pastor, please. You got seven more points to go. Like crying a little bit, right? We're going to zip through the other six, but this one's absolutely critical. Point number one, know what is promised and prescribed. That's checkpoint number one. Do you know God's promised will? Are you doing his prescribed will? When you come to God and say, oh God, show me your will for my life. Are you doing what's prescribed and do you know what's promised? Now we're gonna zip through the other six because that is the absolute foundation. It's the bedrock. It's the cornerstone for knowing God's personal will for your life. Checkpoint number two, ask God. <laughs> that's, my, that's, my, that's my seminary degree talking there. Brilliant, right? Ask God about his will. James 1, 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So people tell me all the time, they come, I want to know God's personal will for me. Cool, did you ask him? Well, I wonder about it a lot. Yeah, but did you ask him? Well, I think about it, and, and I hope, really hope that God will show me, yes, that's awesome. Did you ask him in prayer, God, will you show me your will for me? Because your word says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I lack wisdom right now, God, I lack wisdom. I don't know your will for me today. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without finding fault and it will be given to him. Let's take the second half, or sorry, just continue that verse. James 1, 6, and this is point number three. Check point number three. Start with a yes. Start with a yes. Verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Let me tell you why we're, asking, we're starting with a yes here. Let me tell you why. Because when I read this verse, here's what I typically read. Okay, if I ask God for wisdom... He'll give generously to me, but when I ask, I should believe that he's going to give it to me, right? Yes, and, and, I've got to believe that it's wisdom. I've got to believe that it's good. I've got to trust in the plan and purposes of God. I've got to say, oh God, I say yes to your will, and I say mine goes to the side. I believe and do not doubt that your will is good, that your will is best, that your will is better, that you have a plan. I'm going to start with a yes. 
All I need to know now is what, but I'll start with a yes. When you ask, believe, do not doubt. See, who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Verse seven is, is a bummer. For that person who, who, who asks and does not believe, who asks and doubts the wisdom of God, doubts the plan of God, doubts the personal will of God, that person, verse seven says, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. It's <laughs> God saying, you, you, you want to ask for my will so you can evaluate it? You want to ask for my will so you can determine whether or not you want to do it? Please. Please. You start with a yes. Unless you start with a yes, that person should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. Determining God's will for your life, checkpoint number four, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. That doesn't mean your homie at the pub. That doesn't mean your girlfriend on Instagram. That doesn't mean one of the other moms at the Lulu store. That doesn't mean the dude in the cubicle next to you. That means people who have walked with Jesus for a long time and know his promised and prescribed will very, very well. Look at Proverbs 19. It's up here on the screen. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. In other words, seek counsel. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Do you see what the, what the author of Proverbs is encouraging us? He's saying, listen to counsel, seek godly advice, listen to instruction, but what's the context? It's the plans of God. And the plans of man, the personal will of God, the personal will of man. So how do, you want to, how do you know it? Ask for wisdom. Ask for input from godly folks around you. Number five, checkpoint number five. If you're taking notes, we're going to put all these up here on the screen together in a minute. So if you're like, I watch people, it's great, like take pictures of the screen. And instead of writing them down, take pictures of the screen. That's why, that's why nobody can spell anymore. Um, that and because when I text, it corrects for me. You love that? Isn't that great? Got a little sidetracked there. That's my fault. Um, checkpoint number five, determine what you want. Determine what you want. Now, I want to be, be really clear here because sometimes what we want is not in line with God's promised will or prescribed will, isn't it? Like, I want to be dictator of Ecuador. Like, it's not in line with God's prescribed will. I want to leave my spouse and go be with somebody else. That's not in God's prescribed will. I want to make a lot of money and spend it all on myself, not in God's prescribed will. But listen, when Paul talks about that transformation process, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's saying that when we come to Jesus, Jesus begins to transform us, to change us, to change what we love. And, and check this out, he's given us skills, gifts, abilities, and passions that he wants us to put into play. So if you go to God and you say, oh God, what's your will for me? You know what? I love God more than anything. I love kids. I love being around kids. I love serving kids. I love raising kids. Don't you think that God's personal will for you might have something to do with children? And not necessarily having your own, although that could be it biological children, adopting children may be it, working with children in children's ministry may be it, working with children in your occupation, your vocation may be it. And if you go to God and you go, God, I hate kids. 
please do not volunteer for our children's ministry. (laughs) Determine what you want. Look, I love being a lawyer. I love preaching. I love to cook. I love to travel. You love to travel, God's personal will for you is be a missionary. They travel a lot, okay? God put those passions in you. Determine what you want. And if it's in line with God's promised and prescribed will, a lot of times his personal will will line up with those passions. Number six, look for open doors. Look for open doors. It's another scripture. It's another thing that Christians have really pillaged. It's like, you know, I went to the movies and one of the emergency exits was unlocked and so I just snuck in. I just felt like it was an open door from Jesus, you know, to allow me to sneak into the movies. That's not how this works. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. Check that out. Adversaries means that those open doors aren't always easy means they're not always easy. But God supernaturally in our lives says, says, okay, do I have an opportunity here? Is God opening up a door of opportunity in my life? I know his promised will. I know his prescribed will. And, 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 and I've asked him, I've asked, oh God, show me your will. And there's a door of opportunity that's open for me. God can do that. God can do that. And he has for me. And he did for Paul, 1 Corinthians 16. Number seven, we'll be done. Bloom where you're planted. Please. Please. Bloom where you're planted. Parable of the talents. Look what Jesus says. Jesus is the master in this parable. We are the servants. His master said to him, the servant, so Jesus says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So Jesus is saying a lot of things there, but one of the, say, one of the things he's saying there is, don't, don't like look off into the future. Like, what's God's will for me when I'm that age? What's God's will for me once I'm married? What's God's will for me once I have the job I want? What's, God, what's God's will for me now? Where does he have me now? Where's he planted me now? What's God's will for me in 30 minutes? What's God's will for me in five hours? What's God's will for me today, this season of my life? Bloom where you're planted. Be faithful over a little, and God will put you over much. We're going to conclude with an illustration so you can kind of get the full picture of what I'm talking about. Put those seven checkpoints up there one more time. Seven checkpoints for knowing the will of God. Melissa, pop quiz. This is middle C. What chord am I playing? Melissa says, I'm playing a C note, not a chord. Happy little note, isn't it? What if I add a G? What chord am I playing now? It's part of a C chord. So it could be a C major chord. It could be a C over G. could be a C major seven chord. But we're now a little bit closer. We know that's not an E major. We know it's not a B major. We know it's not an F sharp, but it could be one of a number of chords. What if I play a C with this hand, and then I play a C, an E, and a G? What chord am I playing now? That's a C. Oh, somebody else got a PhD in music. That's outstanding. Outstanding. So look, here's what we do sometimes. We, we play one single note. We say, uh, okay, I've sought godly counsel. Now I know what God's will is for me. 
But all those other six notes, we don't know yet. You know, God's promised and prescribed will, it's like having a piano to start with. It's just the foundation. And so, so I go to God and I say, okay, God, I've asked you what I should do. And I've started with a yes. And I've sought godly counsel. I've determined what I want. I've looked for open doors. Apparently no open doors. No open doors yet. So I wait on God. And then maybe he opens a door. And I've got a C major seven chord. Now I hear the full sonic quality or the full picture of the chord God is playing in my life. When I have each one of those things kind of ticked off, each one of those boxes checked. I'll tell you one quick story about my own personal life and we're going to close with communion. Uh, Amy and I were driving on the 101 freeway in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's kind of like the 404 here. It runs north and south. We're driving south, listening to the radio, just being quiet, listening to music and Amy goes, I think we should adopt. Like out of the blue. Not kidding. I think we should adopt. And I was like, like, like a greyhound? Like a, like a, you know, no, like a kid. And then she adds this. I'm not kidding. She adds this. And I think that's what God wants too. Oh, come on now. I turn the radio off and I say, talk to me. Talk to me. Now watch this. God's promised will is that he would start a family so that he could adopt you and me into it. God's an adoptive dad. That's just who he is. That's just what he's going to do. That's his promised will. Okay? And, and, and we were doing our best to live within God's prescriptions for our life. We were just walking with him as the best we could. We mess up. She messes up. I mess up more than she does. We, we just, okay, but we were doing our best. Okay, God, we're doing our best to live in your prescribed will. So then we ask God, oh God, what is your will for this situation? And we said, we just want you to know, I'm not, I'm not kidding, we literally said this. We said, God, our answer is yes. We, we prayed those exact words. Our answer is yes, whatever it is you want us to do. Biological kids, adopt kids, foster, whatever you want us to do. None at all, that's fine. That's your call, your God will just say yes. Then we sought godly counsel. Parents, friends, mentors, people around us that know Jesus and know his promised and prescribed well, and they said, yeah, yeah, adopting a kid would be really, really good for you. And then we determined what we wanted. We said, you know what, we really would like kids. God's given us a heart for kiddos. We'd like to do that. Then we started looking for open doors. And can I tell you that doors kind of open and close throughout the process. We got those sour notes every now and then. And we took that as, a, okay, God is not holding this door open. He's closed this door. And so we're just going to wait for him to open a door. And it took him 20 months. But finally, he opened a door. And, and, and in the meantime, we were blooming where we were planted. We were serving to the best of our ability. We were loving God faithfully to the best of our ability. I took this job in the midst of that process. And it almost derailed our adoption process completely. But I said, oh God, I'm not going to look out to the future. I'm not, I'm not going to just, okay, God, what do you have for me in the future? What do, have, what do you have for me now? And he said, move to Canada. And I said, okay. <laughs> Sounds weird, but whatevs. Um... <laughs> But all it was was blooming where, where we were planted. 
And then God opened a door and we adopted a little kiddo into our home this last year, right? Or six, eight weeks ago, whatever it is. So we didn't do the random finger method and we didn't do the magic eight ball method and we didn't guess, but we just started checking off those boxes and, and we couldn't go to, you know, chapter and verse that says, yes, on August 22nd, Kaya will be born and, you know, and you shall call her name Kaya or, what, you know, whatever. <laughs> like it's not there. But we checked those boxes off, and, 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 and these seven kind of checkpoints, these kind of seven notes will help you hear the full chord of God's personal will for your life. Now, in closing, imagine how your life might be different if this prayer, oh God, what is your will for my life, would have been the common thread throughout every day, week, month, year of your life up to this point. How would your life have changed if every day you sincerely prayed, oh God, I just want to know your will so I can do it. How would your life be different? Don't look back in regret. Look forward with hope that God's will is not like a treasure hunt. It's something to be known and lived out every day and start today saying, oh God, I want to know your will so I can do it. Let's pray. Jesus, you taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so, God, that is our heart's cry today. As we walk through kind of even seven checkpoints, God, of determining your personal will for us, teach us to know and be a part of your promised will. Teach us to do those things that you've prescribed, and God, teach us to come to you with open hands, Asking you, starting with a yes, seeking godly counsel, determining our real heart's desires, all of those things, God. And in that process, would you reveal your will to us so that we might do it. In Christ's name, amen. As we close our service this morning, I know we're running a little long, but this is super important that we do this. Um, we're going to receive communion together. We're going to receive the Lord's table. So our ushers are going to come forward and distribute the elements. I would invite you to take a piece of bread and a little cup of juice and just hold those. If you know Jesus, it's our opportunity to remember him, to thank him, to uh, remember the sacrifice, the price that he paid on the cross for us. If you don't know Jesus, we just invite you to pass the elements on by you. Um, you know, your presence here with us is just a gift, and so thank you. But at the same time, we ask you to just pass on this part of the service. Um, but for those of us who know Jesus, it's our opportunity to go to him, confess any known sin, enjoy God's forgiveness, and then remember by taking the elements. So as our ushers come forward, let's pray together. Ushers, you guys can come down. Thanks. God, again, we're grateful. And God, I know that, you know, you know, lots of us have big days and family and meals and stuff ahead of us, but God, in this moment, we just want to be quiet before you. We just take our time and be still and know that you've paid the price and really there's nothing more or greater or better to be thankful for than Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We remember you now in Christ's name. Amen.